Someone once said, I don't understand God, but then I don't understand electricity either, but I don't intend to sit in the dark until I do. Amen? You're going to have to think about that one. I know it's early in the morning, but here's the truth. There, there's so much about this world that we don't understand, and yet we trust it. There's so much about God that, ought to, truth be told, to be honest with one another, we just don't understand. This past Thursday, Thanksgiving, um, we gathered around over at, a number of us over at Kate and Zach's family, and, and we just spent some time in, in worship. Zach was leading the worship. Kate was leading in some scripture reading and prayer and praise, and we all went around and we prayed various things and, and thanking him, and then we took turns just going around the room thanking him for what he had done. And then the Thanksgiving meal, we did the very same thing. We went around the table. We thanked him. We had a couple of visitors with us and, and family and friends and just thanked God for various things. And here's the upshot for my year. Um, and someone mentioned this and I kind of put it, encapsulated in, in this well-known phrase. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. <laughs> And the truth is, our, our year and many times our lives can be so awesome, and yet there's so much struggle, there's so much pain, there's so much difficulty, and the truth is we can honestly miss out on those good things. There are many good things, there are many difficult things, and sometimes those many difficult things turn into the many good things. But here's my question to you, what if that doesn't happen? What if this year you are sitting or standing or living in a situation and it's, it's really hard? If you, were to, if you were to define it, if you were to characterize it, describe it, you would have to say it is the worst of times. And my question to you is, so what are you going to do about it? How are you responding in that situation? You know, when you don't understand God or what he's doing, what do you do? How do you respond? How, how do you deal with the issue when the bad things stay bad or the difficult things stay difficult? Now, I want you to turn to Psalm 130. We're going to look at this idea in the very first phrase is out of the depths. That's going to be the title of the sermon today. Out of, the, out of the depths. And out of the depths, he says, I cry to you. Now, as, as we look at this, let's understand that we just finished the book of Joshua. And in that book, that we went through it entitled Taking the Land. And, and all of us have our own promises and inheritance that God has given us. And some of us, that inheritance has come. And eternal life is one of salvation, this new life. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We have been rescued from the sins and its slavery. And we've been brought into newness of life in Christ. And then the, the the question, though, we kind of ended it with last, uh, last week was, so what are the Jews going to do now? What are the Israelites going to do as they, as they break off into their various tribes and as they go to their inheritance, task at hand had to be taking the rest of the land. And the whole book of Judges is about those tribes, those 12 tribes trying to do this. And the problem, though, is that they failed miserably. And they were up against some formidable foes and they got weary and they went back to their old lifestyle. 
They went back to their old lifestyle. How tragic. Here they were waiting on God because God said, you're not going to take the land all at once, but you're going to take it little by little. Because as a, as a small nation inheriting this huge land, then the, uh, the wild animals would take over, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, I'm going to have you take the land gradually. But there was some impatience there. There was an, an eventual just giving up and conceding and compromising with the nations that remained in the land. And so my question to you as we go through this psalm this morning, the, the main question is, so how do you respond in those difficult times? Do you give up? Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Say that with me, church, full redemption. Some of your translations, NASB, I think, has abundant redemption. As long as you understand it's full, it's abundant, it's overflowing redemption. We're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. If we were to look at this phrase, out of the depths, in all honesty, it is a phrase that's commonly found in the book of Psalms. Can I be honest with you? Years ago, as I would read through the Psalms, I would ask this question, David, why are you such a whiner? Why do you whine, whine, whine all the time? And then for me, life happened. And then I began to realize why he whined. And instead of asking, why are you whining? My question began, how did you find praising him on your lips constantly. How did you do this? How did you maintain that attitude that was right before God? And because many times our attitudes would sour, we become pessimistic. Out of the depths is a phrase that's commonly found in the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms deals with real life. And church, the honest truth is that real life is a bunch of pits. It's a bunch of depths. And if you were to look at this concept of the depths, it would mean something like the grave. Now, I'm not saying that David is in the grave or that he's already died, but how many of you, when you're going through a difficulty, it feels, it feels so painful as if you have died. You've died to something or you have died to a relationship. You've died to a hope, and the pain is deep, and it's, it's intense. And that's what he's getting at here, this, this idea of, of the depths, meaning the grave or just a pit. If you were to look at Psalm 40, uh, excuse me, Psalm Yes, Psalm 40, verse 1, and we're going to be referring back to Psalm 40, verse 1, regularly. Psalm 30, verse 1, he said, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. And in Psalm 40, verse 1, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. In Psalm 69, verse 2, he says, I sink in the miry depths. 
Psalm 106 verse 9 says, he led me through the depths. And this is the concept of trial and difficulty and struggle. And this is where David finds himself. And you can only imagine that he has prayed relentlessly, God rescue me from this situation. And there are some of David's situations in which he tried so hard to get out of that pit, if you will. And that pit was potential death. You may remember King Saul accusing him of conspiracy. Here he's a young man, probably 20, early 20s. He has slain Goliath. He has been brought into the king's army. And he has been quickly promoted beyond his older brothers, who are probably at least 10 years older than him. And he quickly gets promoted so that he's a captain of a thousand. And everywhere he goes, he brings success. And there is a jealousy that stirs up within King Saul. He hears the maidens as they're dancing and they're singing in the streets, coming back from battle, welcoming the army. And what do they sing? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his, what? Tens of thousands. Can you say, ouch? And, and I mean, that was just a poetic way, honestly, not of comparing the two, but by in essence saying they are both awesome warriors. In Psalm 90, it says a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand. It doesn't mean that only a thousand will fall at my left side, but uh, at my right hand, oh yeah, 10,000. No, it's this idea of a lot. A lot are going to fall around me, but it will not come near me. And that's the promise there in Psalm 90. And, and so this was just a, a simple song. You know, Saul is slain his, ten, his thousands, David is tens of thousands. Not to say this, that David was 10 times better, but that is how they, uh, Saul, King Saul took it. And there's jealousy. And he pursued David and he tried to kill David. And he, he blamed David for all the problems. And, and he was saying that David is conspiring against him. And David was, he in essence was saying, I am innocent. Why do you keep pursuing me? And he spared King Saul's life twice. And yet we find him on the run. We find him hiding in caves. And it is a dilemma that he tries to get out of. But no matter what he does, it doesn't work. And I want to ask you. Have you ever fallen into a pit? Have you ever tried to get out? Have you ever, have, you've done everything you know how to do, and there you are, you're right in the pit. And it's like, God, where are you right now? And David found himself in these pits on numerous occasions in his life. His, his um, being a refuge in, or a fugitive of King Saul was just one example. You know, if you were to look at Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, there is a sense of certainty. It's He has already been delivered from the pit, but in Psalm 130, that's not the case. Can I ask you, what kind of pit may you find yourself in today? Now, maybe some of you are not in a pit. Praise God. I want you to pray for me then. I mean, that is an awesome thing, not to have a difficult situation that you, that you are in, that you have, you have problem solved, you have sought advice, you have tried to get out of, and it's like, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. So what kind of pit do you, might you find yourself in today? For some of us, it's, it's financial. 
maybe a business. I know for myself, um, my goal was to build the, the business up years and years ago, to build the business up and be able to, I, I thought it was a great plan. God, I'm going to build the business, I get, get a couple trucks on the road, I'll just do it part-time, I'll just oversee it and be able to put full-time into pastoring. And God said, yeah, nice idea, but not my idea. And God literally, he blocked me from being able to do that. I mean, it, it built up to an extent, but I always had to work it full time. And on numerous occasions, I just got frustrated with God. I said, God, I know we started the church. God, I know that you've called me to, to, to pastoring full time. I know you want me to give uh, more of my time to it, but I, I can. I'm trying as hard as I can to, to do what I believe is your plan. And it was as if God himself was blocking the way. Now, initially, my summation was, well, you know, it's the devil. It's the devil. The devil's blocking me. And so Meredith and I, we were fasting and we were praying and pressing in. And yet it was block, block, block. And eventually, I had to realize this is God who is purposefully hemming me in. And, and so I want to ask you the pit that you find yourself in and you have tried and it seems like there is no answer how are you doing with that I know for myself it had been a tremendous struggle just dealing with stuff eventually I began to see God's awesome purposes for all of this but there was a lot of waiting a lot of waiting how are you doing with your waiting Maybe for some of us, that problem is our car. And you try to fix it, and you try to fix it, and it just won't fix. You know, this past week, Sarah Joy had a problem with her car, and she said, Dad, every time I drive it, 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 it starts shaking on me. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not a mechanic, but I'm going to guess a couple of things. So I said, how about if you drive this other vehicle? And so, you know, I've, we, we, we had to juggle vehicles and make our week work. In the process, her car's sitting there, and I'm, okay, so I call the mechanic, and he kind of troubleshoots it for me. He tells me what to do, and I'm doing it, and he says, okay, then you need to purchase this and install this, and remember last time I saw you, there, there was a, an issue here, and I said, okay, yes, and so I purchased that, and I go out to the car, and I put oil in, and you maybe, because it, it tends to go low on oil, and we got that problem solved, I believe, and I'm like, I've tried everything to get this thing fixed. And I lift up the hood, and I just said, you know, I'm just going to check these spark plugs. And I'm one, two, it's a four-cylinder, one, two, three. And I looked at that fourth one, and I noticed that the cap that presses, you know, that presses down, it was cockeyed. And I thought, are you serious? And I reached over, and I pressed it, and it went all the way down in. And somehow, now my mechanic had just worked on it. It had gotten bumped and just a little bit off skew. And so for a whole week, I'm thinking, how am I going to solve this problem? And the answer was so simple, so simple. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. <laughs> you, the, the answer to your problem is not simple. It's not a mere spark plug. Oh, I just need to press this down. And in three seconds, the problem was fixed. <laughs> and he'd been sitting there all week. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Okay, we're going to purchase this. And it, well, that's going to cost like 75 bucks. I don't want to put 75 bucks into it. And so I found one for 20 online. Great. Prime, you know, awesome, get here in two days. And that itself wasn't even the problem. But you have tried to fix this, and it's not getting fixed. Maybe it's marriage. 
Maybe it's that you're stuck in your job. You're wearied by your boss and the people that you work around. And, and you've tried to get a promotion. You've tried to move out of that department. You've tried to, to move into a different job, different business. And, and it just seems like you're walking through mud. It's like you're not going anywhere. Have you ever had a dream in which you're trying to escape and you, it feels like you're walking through? You tried maybe some. How many of you fly in your dreams? Do you ever fly in your dreams? Really? Just a few hands? Man, I fly in my dreams. Okay. Okay. Not all the time. But, you know, when you're trying to escape and throughout the whole dream, you know, you're flying great. When it comes, really need to count on flying. I can't fly anymore. What's wrong? I can't escape. And, you know, you get that feeling. And some of you, that's where you're at today. You just can't escape this thing. You can't escape your boss, your job, whatever it might be. How about a decision that's kind of hanging over you? There's uncertainty about your future. Maybe it's the consequences of sin. But all of these things, David, or, or the author here, excuse me, the author says, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And I'm going to encourage you, cry out to God from this pit. Out of the depths, I cry to you, God. Never give up crying out to God. Never think he doesn't hear me. Now, in Psalm 66, it says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, oh God, you would not have heard me. So I'm going to just encourage you, you know, if you're cherishing sin in your heart and you're purposely going out of your way to sin and, and fall into it, okay, that needs to stop. And so for this reason, he moves on and he said, you know, if by chance I'm in this pit because it's the consequences of my sin. And then he goes on and he says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, O Lord, who could stand? And he talks about God's forgiveness and truly the abundance of his forgiveness in the next verse. And I'm going to just let you know, base one, first thing that you do when you're in that pit is you just say, okay, God. Am I in this pit because of me? Did I do something stupid? Did I violate a biblical principle? Is it because of sin? And, and, and sometimes that's the case. And so David, or the author, he, he checks that one off the very first thing. God, you know, if there's anything in me, forgive me. But God, and this is his declaration, you are not a God when man repents and cries out to you forgiveness to withhold forgiveness from him. You're a God who forgives. You don't have to go back to God every day with that albatross of shame hanging over your shoulders and saying, God, please forgive me for that. Please forgive me for that. It's forgiven. And it's been washed away by the blood of Christ. That is the power of the cross. And he says, you know what, God, if you are a record keeper of wrongs and if you always held our sins against us and in essence there was no forgiveness that you extended to us, no one would be able to stand against you. We would all be guilty. God does discipline us. The result here is, he says in Psalm 130, therefore you are feared because God forgives you are feared now i think he he means more than just simply wow if i sin and i don't repent 
you discipline me, there I'm going to be, therefore I'm going to be afraid of God. And many people, especially non-Christians who believe there's a God, or nominal Christians, they walk in fear every day. They walk in fear wondering if their sins will ever catch up to them and that they will bear the consequences of their sins. And they lack a proper perspective of God's full forgiveness. So I'm not saying that when he says, therefore you are to be feared as if God doesn't discipline, he does. But I think he means more that as a result of this, of of your forgiveness, God, I stand back in awe of you. Because truth be told, David, us, the psalm writer, we do keep a record of wrongs, don't we? When you've been hurt, how easily do you forgive? How easily do you not consider that person indebted to you? Even at least indebted to say sorry to you or apologize or make restitution of some sort. And in this, God does not demand restitution. You would spend the rest of your life and then some, all of eternity actually, paying off that debt. Because Matthew 18, Jesus in his parable says that debt is millions of dollars. Millions. You could never, an amount that you could never pay off. So if if God kept a record of wrongs, no one would stand. But because he has forgiven us and because he has washed that sin, washed us completely of that sin, we stand Now, this word fear means in awe. Look look at it this way. In utter amazement, profoundly impacted by God himself. And that is how we now treat God. You know, I was reading through the newspaper. I, I guess this is from Thursday, is it? Thursdays? Yeah, Thanksgiving Day. And back in the perspective page, the opinion page, I came across an article. It's about a conversation with God. Thanksgiving's not just today. Now, don't get me wrong. He did have a point. His point was valid. Um, He is very discouraged that Trump became president. Um, The flip side was not analyzed. What if Clinton had won? But he was just bummed that... Trump won, and and this is how he starts it off. He says, I was sitting in the service department of my Toyota dealer, starting, excuse me, staring at a book without seeing it as I waited for my car. (laughs) Ever do that? Yeah. God was next to me watching The Price is Right. $849.99, he said. Huh? I said. The retail price of a stainless steel Kenmore 4.2 cubic foot freestanding gas range, said God, pointing to the television. On the screen, an excited young woman blurted, $1,200! Drew Carey looked looked sad for her as he revealed the price. God shook his head. I tried to tell her, he said, if people would only listen to me. Oh, I said, and returned to the book I wasn't reading. God regarded me a moment. Then he said, transmission? I looked up, uh, what? God said, I asked if you brought the car in because your transmission went bluey. Obviously, there's something got you down. 
I sighed and closed the book. Trump, I said. Trump? The guy that's going to be the, our next president, I said. Oh, yeah, said God. With the hair, right? Yeah, I said, that guy. And it goes on, and it, he, he makes a point. But I, I had to step back, and I thought, you know what? There are so many people in America that really view God this way. That God doesn't know what's going on. Oh, that, that guy, Trump. Oh, yeah, I think I remember him. And in, in truth be told, this guy in his article kind of presents God as some idiot, some guy who doesn't know what's going on. And that is the exact opposite of what the psalmist is trying to say. No, God, you know, you do know exactly what's going on. And you have incredible purposes that I may not ever find out. And I will fear you. I will stand in awe of you. And so as we look at this, he moves on and he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait. How many of you love waiting? Anybody here? You love waiting? Love waiting? I don't mind waiting as long as I've got a good book, okay? I don't mind waiting. I'll wait. But you know, I'm going to wait for only so long. And in our life, we kind of pull out our proverbial book and occupy our time. But after a while, you know what, God? I'm looking at my time here and like, what's going on? You're really taking your time. What's up? And, and honestly, we truly do not know how to wait for the Lord, do we? Can I ask you, how do you wait? In Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently, patiently. When our kids were little, we encouraged them, now, I want you to wait patiently, be patient. And they're like, patient, what's patient? Okay, patience is waiting without fussing. In essence, you're doing a lot of fussing, kiddo, and you're not waiting patiently. Patience is waiting without fussing. How many of you are fussing this morning? You're in your pit, you're fussing, and it's like, come on, God. It's been a really long time. And for some of you, it's been years. Not just days or weeks or months. It's been years. Uh, yo, God, over here, remember me? Have you forgotten me? I'm waiting, and I'm really trying hard to be patient. And we fuss. Do you fuss? Do you, do you argue with God? Do you misunderstand God? Eventually, over time, it's not too hard for lies to creep in, for the enemy to be whispering in our ear and for us to start believing those lies about God. God is not going to deliver me because I'm not worthy not worthy enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not loved by God enough. And the truth is, at that moment, we need to check our attitude. We have to ask this question, a valid question. Why does God have me here? And, and I'm not going to tell you that I know the answer to that, but I know what the answer is not. The answer is not that we cop an attitude. The answer is not 
that we just sit there, twiddle our thumbs, and do nothing. But this morning, I'm talking about a pit that you've fallen into that you've tried hard to get out of and can't. Now what do you do? And David is, or this author has fallen into a pit, and I'm sure he's done whatever he can, and it seems as if God is just taking his time, and he is not coming through as he expected, and it's easy to have an attitude. And, and my challenge is having that attitude is not waiting on the Lord. I want you to see something here. This word waiting in the Hebrew is sometimes translated hoping in. You remember Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40, the very last verse, it says, those who wait upon the Lord, that's NASB in King James. NIV translates it differently. Those who hope in the Lord will mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Their strength is renewed like the eagles. So when we hope in the Lord, that forces our attitude to be put in check. But what does waiting on the Lord look like? And in this idea of hope, I'm gonna, I want you to write this down. It, waiting on the Lord, it, yes, it means checking the attitude at the door, but it means this idea of hope, it means expectancy. And you see, that's where I think the rub is. Over time, we stop expecting God to do marvelous things. We kind of just say, well, this is my lot in life. This is just what I'm going to have to settle with for the rest of my life. David, while he was running for his life, perhaps even as much as 10 years in the Judean desert, running around cave to cave, mountain to mountain, fleeing for his life as a fugitive, sometimes feigning madness when he was uh, in Phil Phyllis, uh, Philistia, uh, eventually settling there for about three years so, he would, so that Saul would stop seeking his life. But David never gave up in this sense of expectancy of God. Because David knew that God had a purpose for him. He knew that, at least for him, and wouldn't it be nice if we all had a, a clear word like this, but for David, he knew that he was one day going to be king. And you can't be king fleeing from the present king all of your life. That, that's not going to work out real well. So he knew that eventually this fleeing was going to stop because God had bigger purposes for David. Now, you may not understand, you may not see clearly what your ultimate purpose is or, or even some of these purposes of God. And I'm going to venture to say there are many in your life that God has for you. You may not see them, you may not understand them or comprehend them clearly, but God has a purpose or purposes for your life and he is not going to leave you in the pit. He has greater things for you. And so I want to encourage you, expect. And, and that, that word expect is pregnant with this idea of faith and trusting in God and hoping in him for better things. We sing a song, the best is yet to come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the best for you is yet to come? I believe that for you. I believe that for me and for my family, 
the best is yet to come. And, and, and church, the best ultimately, of course, is going to be heaven. And that is going to be an absolute blast for all of eternity. But I'm not going to just sit here twiddling my thumbs in my little pit or just crying to myself. Wow, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? And just allow that attitude or for me to kind of soak in that attitude. I'm going to pray, God, if that ever happens to me, rip it from my soul. I want to be able to have this sense of expectancy. Sometimes it feels as if we go from pit to pit to pit. We were watching a TV show, uh, and and this one was fairly clean, and it was called uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, and, and Raymond is saying, you know what, wow, I'm apparently I am up for, I'm being nominated for best sports writer of the year. Now, there's obviously a number of nominees, and I've been invited to go to a, a dinner and blah, blah, blah. And so his wife is, she says, wow, that's awesome. He says, yeah, but I'm not going to go. And she says, what do you mean you're not going to go? Well, what if I don't, what if I don't get picked? And she said, but what if you do get picked? What an honor. He says, no, wait, wait a second. Now, you're encouraging me to go, and that's not fair because right now my expectations are about this high. And if I don't get it, I'm just stepping right off the curb here. No big deal. But you're telling me you're putting my expectations up here, and then guess what? If I don't get it, I'm going to fall and really get hurt, and I don't like that idea. And so the whole show goes on, and, he, and she's, she's saying, you're a hopeless pessimist. And he finally concedes, okay, I am a pessimist. And so he tries to change, and at the very end, he just loves his pessimism too much. And it's kind of funny, honestly, but it really got me to thinking many of us were in our pit, and we get too comfortable in the pit. We we start, you know, this is my life. This is my lot. I don't want to expect any more. I don't want to expect better things from God, because what if I get disappointed? The fall is even greater. It's like, wow. We have so missed out on life when we have no expectations, no hope, because our God is good. Our God is good, and he is for us. And he challenges us hope, not just hope in God, but he challenges us to hope in his unfailing love. That word unfailing love is the Hebrew word hesed. you got to say it like like this, okay, chesed, it's a strong H, chesed. And that's the Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament word agape. Anybody know what the word agape means? What does it mean? Love. What type of love? Unconditional love, sacrificial love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's love that's poured out. It is, it's exemplified Christ on the cross. That is agape. And this is referring to something similar to agape, but it has a little bit of different nuance. And it's, it's often the word that's used with covenantal meaning or in a covenantal relationship. And it's that type of love that God has for us in the midst of this covenant that he has made with us. It also means loyalty. And many times as you're reading through it, you might, you might see loving kindness. Some of your translations say loving kindness. Some say unfail- NIV says unfailing love. Um, and, and some of them translate the word loyalty. And it's a proper translation depending on the context. But God is loyal to you. Now, now 
Maybe you've never had a friendship in which when life was, your life felt like it was getting flushed down the toilet, that your friends were loyal to you. I hope you have. I hope that you, when you look around here, and I know a number are missing this morning, but I hope that you can see and find friends here and brothers and sisters in Christ that you can link arms with because they're loyal to you and you are loyal to them. God is so very loyal to us. He loves us. This, this concept of covenantal love and sacrificing everything for us. Psalm 40, verse 3, it's, it's a similar psalm as this. And in that psalm, I, I want to turn to it and read it to you. But he says, he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. See, that is what he is promising. That is what he's wanting to do for you. He's wanting to lift you up out of the pit and set you on a rock. Not in a pit, but on a rock. A rock is a firm place. It's a secure place. How many of you this morning would just simply like a secure place to stand today? You know, and, and wow, I mean, the financial uncertainties and, and the job situation and the house situation and these ministry situations, you're wondering, are you going to pan out your future? It's like there's so many uncertainties and you would love to stand on this rock that's firm. And this is what happened. He said, you, I waited patiently for you, Lord, and you came through. Now, we don't see that in Psalm 130 because he's still in the depths. In the entire psalm, he's still in the depths. But in Psalm 40, he's been rescued from the depths. He's been pulled out of the slimy pit. How graphic can you be? The slimy, muddy, miry pit. You pulled him and you set my feet on the rock. And that's the certainty of God's promises and his truth. And he says in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, if you were to turn there, it says, give thanks for all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Is that what your version says? Give thanks for all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That is, however, how many of us understand that verse, but that's not how it reads. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I... I say this because I don't believe God expects us, and you can write this down, I don't believe that God expects us to thank him for that job that Satan stole from us or that account that he stole from us. I don't believe that God wants us to thank him for these bad things, such as a child that we had that passed away. But he does want us to thank him in those circumstances. These difficult circumstances, many of them are from the enemy. Don't, you don't have to give the enemy credit here. But in the midst of your pit, in the midst of your difficulty, God is requiring, asking us, give me praise. Give me praise in this. And Thanksgiving, as, as we were gathered around, we, we had to even laugh because of the struggles and the trials and the difficulties that I'm not going to get into it. But many of you have experienced 
and they were hard, and, and, and yet there was so much that we found to be thankful for. We had just gotten word about Kate's arm, and there was something that had been growing in it, and she tried to take care of it uh, months ago but could not, um, and it was causing her pain. There was a growth in her arm. And then the appointment initially was canceled, and then she rescheduled it. But in between those two appointments, she discovered that she had gotten pregnant. And now the, any MRI or anything like that, no, you're going to need to wait 10 months now. And so she waited 10 months. And at the, so she recently went in, and the doctor, the, I guess it was the doctor that originally looked at it, the doctor said, wow. I'm going to recommend you. It wasn't, oh, yeah, hey, let's set this up now. They took the MRI. No problem here. We'll do this. That, no, we, we got this. No. Um, I'm going to encourage you to see a good friend of mine who deals with this kind of stuff regularly. And so Meredith took Kate there. And when she, Meredith recounted to me as they were going in, the words over the building were the cancer Institute and it just hit her like I am taking my child in to see a cancer specialist and it was just overwhelming to her we had spent several days in fasting and prayer about this and we just got word back was it the day before Thanksgiving the doctor himself called the specialist and said hey I want you to know I've taken the MRI, I've shared it with my associates, the radiologist, and we have concluded that this is benign. And, and he, he shared some complications about it, but nothing that would scare you. And it was like, Lord Jesus, thank you. So can I just say on Thanksgiving Day, that that was like at the top of the list that we are praising God for. And, and I'm not saying that you've got to wait for God to lift you out of your pit to start praising him and thanking him. But his challenge to you is right now in the midst of this hard situation, what are you doing? Are you on the floor kicking and throwing a temper tantrum saying, God, where are you? Well, that's honestly where many of us are. And he's saying, no, come on. How do you treat your son or your daughter when they do that? just have your hand right now and we're going to go to the bathroom okay and you have this little one-on-one -on -one time to uh, and you you pull out your attitude adjuster right aka your paddle and you, God is wanting to say hey let, let's adjust this attitude okay because you're here for a reason you've tried a hundred different things to get out of it, and I have you here for a really good reason. Can you be patient with me and endure and wait for this? Because it says that dancing and joy comes in the morning. But, but can you wait the nighttime? Can you wait through the darkness? Can you wait through when all... It seems like everything's hopeless. Can you still hope and can you still wait? It's because God's love is unfailing. His goodness endures forever. Psalm 107 says, he is good. His love, his hesed endures forever. He has not forgotten you. 
And yes, you've tried many ways to get out of the pit. But can I just challenge you? Don't, don't give birth to an Ishmael. You know, here Abraham was, and he's trying everything he could. You know, God, you promised us, and you're not doing it. I guess I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to break a biblical principle here, and I am going to take my handmaid, sleep with her, and voila, no Isaac, but an Ishmael. And maybe you're aware that the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs, have been at war with Israel the entire time. I'm sure that if Abraham had the opportunity for a redo, you know, go, go to that little icon and click redo, uh, he would have done that. But he couldn't. What was done was done. Granted, he had to wait 25 years. 75 when he comes to Canaan. He gives birth to Isaac, his wife doesn't, when he's 100, and she's 91. That's waiting. I think he learned his lesson. He eventually did learn to wait patiently. <clears throat> the last thing that we see here is he says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption, or the NASB says abundant Redemption. Do you know what redemption is? Redemption, you know, like you go to a, a store and you redeem something, you purchase it, you buy it. For with God, there is full redemption. Now, there perhaps is a reflection all the way back, and you can write this down, but Exodus 6, verse 6, and he talks about how God purchased Israel, who was his firstborn, by the way. He purchased Israel out of slavery. And yes, we have, by the cross of Christ, he has redeemed you from your slavery to sin. He has rescued you. Matthew 1, the angel encourages Joseph in a dream, and he says, take Mary to be your wife, for what's in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when he's born, you need to call him Jesus, which means Savior, because he will save, or I like to use this word, rescue his people from their sins. That's what Jesus came to do, to rescue you, to redeem you, to purchase you. Now, I want to ask you, if you have been purchased, if you go to the store and you purchase something, if you pay a lot of money for it, would you say that that's somewhat valuable to you? You no longer had the money in your back pocket or in your bank account. Maybe it was like $30,000. Would that be at least a little valuable to you? The house that you have purchased, is it just a little valuable to you? I mean, the more something costs, the more valuable it is to you. Well, here's the picture that we receive from the New Testament. Christ gave the most valuable thing ever in the entire created universe and beyond for you and me, he gave his life. That was the redeemed price for you. Now, it doesn't just say from our sins. Actually, in Psalm 103, verse 4, it says, he redeems your life from the pit. You see, you belong to him. You are in this category of his valuables. And God does, is not in the habit of leaving his valuables around the house. You know, sometimes your children, you give them something very valuable, money. 
And before you know it, you see it laying around. It's like, I just gave you 20 bucks and you just left it around. Come on, treat this with respect. Put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, take good care of it. God does not leave his valuables around the house. He knows exactly where his valuables are and he treasures them. You are his valuable possession, his valuable treasure. And he is not just going to leave you in the pit and forget about you. Because he, is his, he has purchased you for a purpose and he has redeemed you from that pit. And the time is going to be coming in which he will reach down and he will lift you up. But my question is, are you going to wait patiently for him to do that? Can we wait? It's very easy for us to be in our pit and get so anxious. I know that many years ago, before we actually moved to Orlando, I knew that God was going to have us plant a church, <clears throat> and I was going to use the paint touch-up business. And before we left, our church was having a, uh, I think it was, we were graduating, I can't remember exactly the, the circumstance, but we were, I was going to be leaving and this man came up to me, and this man God had used tremendously in the prophetic, tremendously in the prophetic. And he came up to me, and, and he, he did interior work on car lots, and I did exterior work on car lots. And at that moment, I, time I, I worked for somebody, I came down here and worked for myself. But he and I are talking, he says, Mike, I've been praying for you, and God the other day spoke to me, and he said... And I'm listening, yeah. Because I knew that I was gonna, we were going to be leaving and planning a church. And he said, Mike, God is going to be having you do paint touch-up for quite a bit longer than you anticipate. And he is wanting you to learn to be excellent at it and to excel. So I bounded that word in Jesus' name and said, nothing, no, no. I, no, I was gracious to him, and I said, okay, thank you, you know, question mark. Not thank you, but thank you. And uh, I said, well, in all honesty, brother, thank you anyway, but I really do have plans. I'm just going to be doing this a short time. And he just smiled, and he said, okay, okay. All right, but I think God is just wanting you to really focus on being excellent at your work. And so two years go by, and, I, and I'm down here doing paint touch-up, and, and I realize this word is coming to pass, and I hate it. Um, and God had to do a work in me and just realize that in this little pit that I was in, he was doing some amazing things and preparing me and training me and trying to pour things into me that in his sovereignty, he realized this was the best place and the best circumstance to do that. Can you trust him? That this thing, this pit that you're in is not out of God's control and that he has allowed you for whatever reason to be there. And it might be that you need to check out some more avenues to be able to get out of this pit. And that's certainly the case. But what if you've checked all the avenues, checked all the doors, they're all locked. 
And he's just saying, will you wait patiently for me? Are you getting discouraged? Are you wondering, God, where are you in my life right now? I believe today he is saying, can you trust me? Do you know the depth of my love for you, even in this hard situation? You are valuable to me. And I truly have good purposes for your life. Don't give up. Expect good things. Yes, check your attitude at the door, but praise him in the midst of all of this and always know that you are his valuables. Trust him. He's going to take awesome care of you. He truly will. Will you stand with me? Father, this morning we are going to confess that we do not understand so many different things in our lives. But that does not mean that we're not going to trust you. And so, Father, I believe that you're bringing us full circle and you're, you're extending this challenge to trust you, to trust your unfailing covenantal love, to trust this love that sacrificed at high cost everything for us, for me. And you are going to take such good care of me. And so today, God, under your wings, I will trust. Though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it will not come near me. Though I find myself in this pit, I know in your perfect timing, you will lift me up. Help us, God, in this day. Help us right now to be patient as we wait on you, as you do amazing things that, God, truly, we may never know the extent of. But we do know this, you are good and your love endures forever. Encourage us, God, as we hope in you and wait upon the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have an awesome, awesome week. And uh, for those of you who are, gonna, who are interested in the evangelism training, we're gonna be doing that at, at uh, one o'clock. We're gonna start lunch. See you then. Thanks, bro.